welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For those who don't know me, my name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors here at Victory Church and uh, it's a privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, We've been going through a series on the book of Acts. Acts is... um, historical book in the New Testament that comes straight after the stories about Jesus and it really it gives us some insight into some of the things that were going on in the early church. It doesn't tell us everything about the early church but it certainly gives us some of the highlights and some of the lowlights along the way and so far, so far we're up to about, uh, about nearly just over halfway through and we've seen some highlights. We've seen Jesus resurrected and returning to heaven and commissioning his church We've seen the Holy Spirit being outpoured upon the believers and radical transformation in their lives. They went from being just well-intentioned people that couldn't carry out their good intentions to people that were radically impacted and changed from the inside out and became um, powerful in their proclamation of the gospel and, and also powerful in the sense that they were seeing people, um, you know, miracles done as they were praying for people, laying hands on people, etc. Et so there was lots of amazing things. It wasn't without its, uh, difficulties though because we've also looked at the fact that the church was persecuted We've seen that Christians were beaten, some even killed to this point. Okay, so the church has, there's been some amazing things going on. We've just sort of gradually overpacked that, unpacked that over the last um, six or so weeks. And so today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 15 and we're picking up in verse 36 and I'm going to read through to verse 41. And um, we're just entitling this message, When Friends Fall Out. Okay, so hopefully... There's something in it for everyone. Our, our intention here at Victory Church is to make our preaching biblical, inspirational and practical. And so it's not going to necessarily be the deepest theology in terms of what's going on in heaven right now when Jesus is coming back because sometimes that doesn't necessarily help people to grow as a believer. But we always want our preaching to be biblical. Yes, there will be some of those things included along the way, but every week we want people to go away and say, I can actually put this into practice. And so hopefully at the end of this little message, um, you're going to be able to have some more keys to do life well and therefore represent Jesus well, or at very least to put some things into practice and see that his ways work and perhaps begin the journey or be on the journey as Norm was. All right, so Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later... Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. You may remember that last week, Tone spoke on the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas last week, talked about some of the things that went on there. We spoke about apostolic ministry and so on and so forth. And so Paul, having planted these churches along with Barnabas, now he said, let's go back and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, and that ultimately went on to become his second missionary journey. Again, one of the first things that stands out to me as I read this is that It is very much, as we found right the way through, it's a warts and all, real world account. There's nothing mythical or mystical. You don't need to throw your brain away to to kind of see this stuff happening. All right? And that's that's the the, the general tenor of the Bible in general, but specifically Acts here as we're looking at it right now. Uh, Interestingly, this fallout isn't between new Christians who don't know any better. 
This is like a heated exchange involving some of the leading lights in the church. I mean, we've looked at, we've mentioned Paul. We heard about his conversion, his miraculous conversion. A man who was a persecutor of the church, was responsible for the death and imprisonment of Christians. And yet God had arrested him, just confronted him about the way he was living his life. And he'd gone from being a persecutor to a preacher. And so Paul was very much on the cutting edge of what God was doing around the place at that time. And so we've got Paul, who, who also ended up much, writing much of the New Testament, is one of the players in this little uh, disagreement. We've also got Barnabas. And this is a little bit surprising because Barnabas, you know, his nickname was the son of encouragement. And we see that right throughout Scripture, he is, he is regarded as a person who is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. If you've got problems... Go and see Barnabas. He'll cheer you up. He'll lift you. He'll, he'll help you get in. If you're on the outer, he'll bring you in. Inner. In fact, Paul, earlier on, had been brought into uh, the fellowship of the, the apostles or the disciples at the time because um, they didn't really trust what Paul was up to. They thought this is some sort of trap. Get him into our inner circle so he can have us all arrested. But Barnabas was the only one who extended Paul the benefit of the doubt and invited him, him in to the leadership of the church at that time. And so Barnabas was a good guy. He always thought the best of everyone. And we see that as we read on. Uh, then the other person in the mix here is John Mark. Okay, John called Mark. And he was Barnabas' um, cousin. And so he was also a committed believer, came from a very um, dedicated, well-known Christian family. In fact, it was John Mark's mother's house. If you remember a little while ago, we spoke about Peter, Peter's miraculous release from prison. And if you remember, after he'd been released, he went to John Mark's mother's house where the church was gathered together and praying. So he had a bit of a spiritual pedigree, if you like. But for whatever reason, he'd obviously let the guys down earlier on. But he ultimately went on to write the book of Mark. Okay, the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark in this story. All right, so I want to have a look at this particular passage of Scripture, just to have a look at some truths pertaining to working relationships. Okay, working relationships. Because as a church, we're not just called to casual relationships. We're not called to... Shallow relationships or cordial relationships are actually called to a working relationship. God calls us to a relationship with himself, but then he also calls into a relationship with a, a group of people that become a team through which he is ministering his grace, his love, and his power to the world. Okay, so we're all, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it fully or not, God has called us to work together. And so we need working relationships. And so I'm going to have a look at three things this morning. I'm going to have a look at the fact that trust is a must, disagreements are inevitable. And that we finally need to keep our eye on the prize. The first thing, trust is a must. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. As I mentioned, previous missionary trip, all of them heading out together. And somewhere along the road, for a reason we don't know, Mark bails and heads back to Jerusalem. Now we've got talk of another trip and Barnabas, ever the optimist and possibly a little bit of a family connection there, wants to bring John along. Paul said, no, sorry, he's not going with us. He's burnt his bridges. I don't trust this guy anymore. And trust really is about the degree to which we're willing to rely on somebody for something. And so Paul had trust issues. And so I want to look at this thing first up, you know, because all of us, I'm sure, there are issues regarding trust in our life. Maybe we're on the side of being the untrustworthy one, or we're on the side that trust has been broken towards us. But either way, I think there's going to be some keys here this morning that will help us. 
Some people look at the wrong things when determining who to trust or how much to trust someone. Sometimes they might base their level of trust on how much they like someone. Maybe they base their level of trust on the type of associations that these people have or maybe common interests. And they think, well, this person likes some of the same things I like, therefore I can assume that they are trustworthy. Some people, it might be the way that they look or the way they sound. Maybe if they speak with a certain accent or perhaps they, you, know, you can just tell by the words that they use that they're well-educated and so on and so forth, that you might think, well, that person is trustworthy. I will trust them more than I would trust someone who doesn't speak so proper. <laughs> the trouble is that those things are not a good indicator of reliability. Some of the nicest, most sincere, and even the most honest people that I know are the most unreliable. Get that. Nice people can let you down. Honest people can let you down. Doesn't mean you don't like them. Doesn't mean that there's not a measure of connection and relationship. But you're a fool to trust people just because they're nice or just because they talk a certain way or dress a certain way or because they're a friend of a friend or whatever. At the end of the day, trust can only ever be built or broken based on what we do. We need to keep our eyes out and make some decisions based on what we see when it comes to, do I trust this person or do I not trust this person? I mean, it would be nice to think that trust would be a given. You know, that the baseline, the default position of all our relationships is trust. And I think there should be a measure of that. But, you know, there's, you, don't, you don't sort of jump in boots and all and entrust someone with your whole life or entrust someone with all your savings when you don't really know them. You might trust them to a degree. You might trust them to come over your house. And you might trust them to be in another room when you're not there or whatever, they're not going to steal all your stuff. There's a measure of trust that we, until someone you know, breaks that trust. But generally speaking, it's not realistic just to expect that every person is trustworthy. We can't live our lives like that. We're going to get hurt. We've got to learn from some of the lessons that life throws our way. Okay, making sense? That's called wisdom when you learn from what goes on in the past. So we're called to learn. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Now it's required... Those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Do we have any trust that's been given to us? How faithful are we with that trust? Jesus said, uh, I think it's in Luke chapter 16 or thereabouts, he said, don't, don't swear. In other words, don't, he's talking about not swearing as in bad language, but don't make oaths about this or that and all these elaborate sort of incantations about, you know, I'll definitely, definitely, definitely do that. You know, you can absolutely rely on me. He says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, if you say you're going to do it, do it. If you say you can't do it, that's cool. You can't do it. That's fine. But don't, don't, don't try and all these, you know, amazing, um, you know, wax lyrical about what you can do and how reliable you are and all that. Stuff, because at the end of the day, you'll be found out by what you do or don't do. And if you're found out by what you do and don't do, everything else is superfluous. You don't need it. All right, so when we're working out who we're going to put our trust in, we need to be looking at some things in people's lives. We need to look at the overall tenor of their life. What's their lifestyle like? How do they do relationships in, gen- in general? How do they do finances in general? How reliable are they, just generally speaking? Are those sort of things. What's their track record? Do they have a history of letting people down, person after person after person after person, and then you're the next person in the list? We should learn from that track record. Not just as a Christian, be nicer than Jesus and just entrust them with a whole bunch of stuff and just set them up to fail yet again. 
What are the recommendations? What are the people that know them saying about? Not, you know, again, we don't need to be negative and slandering people, but I think we need to be able to give an honest account of people. If someone comes to you and says, oh, look, I'm thinking of going into business with so-and-so, what do you reckon? If you just want to be all nice about it, say, oh, yeah, great guy. Great guy says nothing. Are they trustworthy? Will they rip you off? Or are they just stupid and will leave you in a hole? Yeah? So trust is something that we need to have in our lives. We need, it's, it's a commodity. If we are trustworthy, our lives will go well. If we're not, our lives will spiral downhill pretty quickly. And we also need to be able to determine who is trustworthy and who is not trustworthy. When it comes to rebuilding trust, there's a few things I want us to learn. The first thing is that breaking trust has consequences. Barnabas didn't get to go with Paul that day because he had broken Paul's trust. Paul started a missionary journey with Barnabas and with John Mark, and he expected to finish that journey with both those guys. But somewhere along the line, for whatever reason, good, bad, or indifferent, John Mark took off. And so Paul could not trust him anymore to stay with them on a missionary journey. It doesn't mean that Paul didn't like John Mark. It doesn't mean that he started a hate club. It doesn't mean that he had to gossip about him and slander. It just means that he didn't trust him at that point. Rebuilding trust takes time and effort. It doesn't happen overnight. There was nothing at that particular moment. When this situation comes to bear, when Paul goes to Barnabas and says, look, let's go back and visit these people, and Barnabas says, great idea, I'll go and get John Mark. Paul goes, ah, he's not coming. Not taking that guy. There was nothing at that moment that could change Paul's opinion. Not even a sorry, not even an apology, not a promise. Nothing could rebuild Paul's trust at that moment. And we need to understand that. How often do we do something wrong? We say sorry and then get, and we think that that's, everything is fixed. All is well with the world when we say sorry. Sorry is good for getting forgiveness. But forgiveness is different than trust. You get that? Forgiveness is different than trust. It takes time. You can be forgiven in an instant like that. Say sorry to the person, I forgive you, let's move on. But trust takes time. It needs to be rebuilt. How is it rebuilt? Well, it's rebuilt by just consistently doing the opposite of whatever it was that broke trust. If you're unreliable, be reliable. Maybe you're unreliable in terms of punctuality. Begin to be punctual and people begin to consider that you are more reliable. Do the right thing with finances and people will consider that you are reliable financially and so on and so forth. Just do the opposite of what it was that's got you this reputation of being untrustworthy. And again, trust is important in every relationship. You know, Certainly marriage, so many of the issues that, that we deal with, it's about trust. It's not about love or lack of. People love each other to bits. People are willing to bend over backwards to please each other, but they just don't trust each other. Some wives live in fear of their husband's spending habits or in fear of what they're doing when they don't know where they are. They just don't trust. They love, but they don't trust. They forgive, but they don't trust. So we need to, we need to know how to rebuild trust. If a person is secretive, and secretive could be for a whole bunch of reasons. It could be a young person being given a mobile phone. Maybe they've got an internet plan on there. And they're starting to access things they shouldn't be. And they're hiding it from their parents. It could be a husband or a wife who's going astray. 
and there's secrets beginning to develop. The only way that you can build trust when there's been secrecy in a relationship is to be open and honest and accountable. And so when you get found out, when things come to a head, you need to be, go about being open and honest. So for a child who's, maybe it's, you know, it's a phone, or maybe it's the same for an adult, really, if it's been an affair. You know, it's about a phone being accessible or being able to be taken and looked at any time or maybe left with a person for a day to see who actually rings to see what sort of messages come up throughout the course of the day. Maybe you're talking to somebody who you're not supposed to be talking to and so on and so forth. The only way to do that is to be open and honest and accountable. If you are willing to do that, that starts to rebuild in a trust and relationship. You've been forgiven, yes. You're still loved, yes. You might be a great guy in many areas or girl, but there's a lack of trust. You need to go about rebuilding that trust, and that's one of the ways that it can be, do it, that it can be done. Again, I think we need to understand too that that sort of thing the sort of things that we need to do to rebuild trust need to not be seen as punishment. All right? There's often punishment or negative consequences as a result of this, the silly stuff we do. Maybe in the case of you know, a, a young person who's misusing their, their mobile phone, maybe the punishment for that might be that they're grounded for a month. But being grounded for a month goes no way at all to rebuilding trust. But rebuilding trust is something totally different altogether. And so the rebuilding trust was about being, having your phone accessible at any time, show me what you've got, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, being accountable for where you are at any given time, those sort of things. They're just, the, they're just things that will help rebuild trust. It's not about punishment. This is just you, you say you're upset because you don't trust me or I don't trust you. Well, if you want me to trust you, here's some of the things that can help rebuild that broken trust. Got it? Is this helpful? I hope so. <laughs> so my question initially then... Are there trust issues in your world? And how can, let's think about this, how can you or the person who's broken your trust move forward? Because sometimes there are people in our world who have broken our trust, but they don't know they've broken our trust. Or we don't communicate with them to tell them what they need to do to rebuild that trust. And so therefore, if, something, if trust is broken in a relationship and there's no change made, we just holding a grudge or whatever, and we don't communicate what we'd like to do to see that trust rebuilt, how can a person rebuild trust? If we feel that someone doesn't trust us, it would be worth us approaching them and saying, what can I do to get your trust back? And then just do whatever they say, as unreasonable as it may seem, because it's, the end result is worth it. Okay, so that's about trust initially. The second thing, okay, so this whole issue was about a lack of trust or a breakdown of trust. The second thing that happens, obviously... Acts 15, verse 39, it says they had a sharp disagreement and they parted company. So disagreements are inevitable in life. You can't avoid them. Even apostles, those revered leaders of the church, those miracle workers, those people with great authority and wisdom and able to speak into people's lives and bring direction to churches and even nations, churches and nations, these guys had an argument. Not just an argument, not just a little disagreement, but a sharp disagreement. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are. It doesn't matter how loving you are or how qualified or how purpose-filled you are. You are bound to have a disagreement in the church. You will. Because none of us are perfect. We all, even on our best, you know, we still succumb to things like tiredness and frustration and stress and all of that. So it's inevitable that we're going to have an argument at some point along the line. 
And when I, what I want to say is this, don't worry about it. It's not the end of the world. Some people, they make the goal of their Christian life to not have an argument. And inside they're a seething mess of hatred and anger and bitterness, but they're not having any arguments. I say get it out there like Paul and Barnabas did. Because you can move forward from that place when there's openness and honesty. But if a person doesn't know that you hate their guts, because every time you see them, they put a smile on their face and they pretend that they're your friend. Ultimately what happens, it gets harder and harder and harder to front up at church. And eventually you begin to hate those that still like them. And so then it gets even harder to go to church. And then, you know, it just, it just as a snowball effect it goes downhill from there. And people leave church and people get all bent out of shape. And it's just because they're holding on to stuff that really you'd be better off just getting out there. Well, I said, this is a sharp disagreement. What does a sharp disagreement look like to you? I imagine it was loud. I don't know if there's any language involved. But it was sharp. It was hard. They actually separated as a result of what took place. But better that than just live in silent disagreement. If we live in silent disagreement, we rob ourselves of the opportunity to grow. We rob ourselves about the opportunity to get convinced of something. I was chatting to someone, and I thank God they had a chat to me. Um, Just chatting to them the other day, and they're asking about the bloke. And they had an opinion about the bloke event that we do. And it was, I guess, an opinion I could understand. Um, and, And it was just simply like, you know, the bloke's a great event. You get all these people here who aren't Christians. How come you don't do a salvation call at the end and try and get them all saved? And, you know, they were... Little things were festering inside. They think, what are you guys doing? You're compromising. You, know, you don't know what you're doing. It's, surely you should make the most of that opportunity. I said, no, no, it's not about that. It's, so you're trying to measure success of that event in one night, what happens on one night. And you're trying to measure it in how many people might put their hand up and say, I want to become a Christian. But that's not the goal of that event for us. The goal of that event for us is, is manyfold. It's about connecting with people who are beyond coming to church normally, who wouldn't normally do it. It's about... Um, helping them to, to, to break down some of their mindsets with regards to church and Christians. You know, we often joke at the bloke about how many people think that church is full of little old ladies of both sexes. And so when they see guys that, that are, you know, knocking the stuffing out of each other and they see guys, you know, they're just, just not what they'd expect to be at church, it messes with their head just a little bit and perhaps makes them a little bit more open. And so as they do that, and then they go back to work on Monday and they, they say, oh, that thing, that wasn't really what I was expecting, the bloke. And suddenly you've got a conversation beginning to happen about church. You've got access into a person's life. And so it's a process. And so the success of that process is not what happens on the night, although it's a great part of it, but it's about what happens in the ensuing months. It's about the conversations that are had. It's about the confidence with which people who would never normally talk about church ever are suddenly talking with a little bit of enthusiasm about some of the stuff that goes on in their church. The same with cafe, the same with our playground. These things aren't going to get a person to heaven in and of themselves, but they can be part of bringing someone on a journey to the point where actually, you know, as we've said with Norm, it's been a process. You start off, you totally don't believe in God. But you begin to hang around the people of God and you think, well, can all these people be deceived? Can they all be so wrong? Their lives aren't that bad. There's actually some attractive qualities that, you know, maybe God is at work. And so it's about bringing people on a journey. So I appreciated the fact this guy just didn't keep silent and fester about what a compromising bunch of unbiblical whatever we are, because some people say those things, some people think those things, but he just got it out there, and hopefully at the end of it, he was convinced 
or at least had an understanding of the why behind our what. This is why we do what we do. So you might not agree with it, but this is the method behind our madness. Because he had a conversation. He got it out there. He didn't just keep festering on the inside and gradually feel more and more isolated and more and more at odds with where we're heading as a local church. Better for Paul to say it up front, I don't trust Mark, than go on the journey and then just be looking for him to fail at every minute. <laughs> Told you so. What did I bring him for? <laughs> Can't imagine that happening, can you? But that's what we do, isn't it? We're not open and honest with people and then we just hold it against them and they keep doing the things that they're not aware they're doing. It's good to get stuff out there. You know, in this building project, we joked about some of the heated discussions and possibly even expletives that were used as people debated the merits of doing it this way or doing it that way or spending money here or spending money there. But at the end of the day, you know, we got convinced about which was the way to go. Do we put a ceiling in? Don't we put a ceiling in? Do we need to soundproof our walls? Do we, do we need to spend money on those? And, and as you have a robust discussion about these things, people get onto the same page. And that's, that's part of having a working relationship. Like I said, Tone and I have had some, some crackers over the years. But we're still working together because we realise it's just a bump in the road. It's just a moment. It's just part of the journey. It might be that he's wrong or I'm wrong or it might be that we're just both just tired and frustrated by other people in our worlds or whatever. So when someone says something or disagrees, we don't get upset. You just keep walking together, just keep moving on. And I think as a church, if we could just get that, this church could be far more influential than it currently is and so could any church. So my question at the end of this little part is, are we being honest with those around us? Are we being honest enough with those around us? Or are we resenting and punishing people for stuff they're not aware of? Because people can break your trust so easily. People can let you down so easily. People can disappoint you so easily. And you can do the same to others. And you can be totally unaware of it. Not, not evil, not wicked, not trying to undermine them, not trying to ruin their life. Just being a good guy, travelling through life, oblivious, you can hurt people. You can let people down. And so we need people talking to us about when we're doing that and we need to be talking to others when they're doing it to us. Thirdly, keep your eyes on the prize. So we've talked about the importance of trust. We've talked about the fact that there's going to be some Barneys along the way. But thirdly, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I love that because there was a separation of sorts, but it wasn't the type of separation that we're used to when it comes to issues in the church. It's never what happens that's the issue. It's always the way we deal with the issue. Are we so focused on reacting and taking offence that we actually forget what we're here for? And I love the fact that these guys kept their eye on the prize. They knew what they were there for. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, he says, he says this, and this is reflected in what we see take place in the passage I just read. But he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now that prize can be a whole bunch of stuff. I think it... It consists of some of the things that God is calling us to do right here. It consists of the rewards that come as a result of that. It consists of 
attaining to, to know Christ in his fullness for ourselves. There's a whole bunch of things. But Paul didn't lose sight of that just because someone ticked him off. Just because someone arced up at him and, and things got heated and sharp. He kept focus. I love the fact that, yes, they parted company after a sharp disagreement, but they did so with purpose. Barnabas went this way with John Mark. Paul went this way with Silas, and they continued to strengthen the church. And I love the fact that it also wasn't the end of their relationship, because we see later on that their relationships come back together. They didn't give up their ministry calling. They didn't say, well, I've had an argument with the leader of such and such a team. I'm not going to turn up anymore. Stuff the kids, rah, rah, you know, whatever. Is, the, is that too real? Sorry. Wouldn't do that as Christians, would we? No, never. They didn't say, we're going to leave the church. They didn't just dump all their friends. You know, people get offended, they leave the church, and they dump all their friends. People get hurt, people don't understand, what have I done? Nothing. They just didn't deal well with the situation. And then the crazy thing is it looks really weird when you've got Christians that have left the church because they're ticked off with something that happened in the church, but they still want to spend all their time with Christians in the church, but that doesn't happen because we're at church and doing the things that this church is involved in, and they get upset even more because they think you're ignoring me. I say, no, this is where we are. If you want to come be with us, here we are. <laughs> we're not ignoring you. We've just got other things going on in our lives. They didn't start a hate club. We don't see the message transfer from being that of the gospel to being what a mongrel and what a wuss John Mark is as Paul heads off to Cilicia and so on. And we didn't see the message go back to Cyprus that Paul is a dog. Don't listen to anything he says. They didn't run each other down. They didn't get people to try and take sides. They just got on with the job. As a result, the church was strengthened, not weakened. When we don't handle it well, when we begin to talk badly against each other, when we leave the church, when we leave a ministry, when we start to splinter off and we take it, the church is weakened. But Paul went on and the church was strengthened. I love that. I love the fact that as they chose to keep their eye on the prize, that a potentially disastrous situation was turned into an awesome situation. Because God is able to turn all things together for good for those who love God. And accord according to his purposes. So we would have had one little mission trip heading off. But instead there was two. So Paul used it for good as they both went with good attitude. And Paul strengthened the church here. And Barnabas and Mark strengthened the church over here. That space that they gave or had from each other, it gave them an opportunity to take perspective, take stock and get perspective and realise, yeah, I probably did overreact a little bit. Mark's not a bad guy. And overall the general tone of his life is he's trustworthy. And his mum was sick. We don't know why he left. He could have been a very good reason that he left. Paul was just disappointed that he left. So they got perspective. It gave John Mark an opportunity to prove himself under the, I guess, the, the gentle, encouraging guidance of Barnabas. Under Barnabas' leadership, he flourished. And later on, Paul was able to say, I have no one like Mark. Make sure he comes and sees me. We see them in jail together. We see them on mission trips again together. And we see ultimately that Mark became a, a, um, a partner of Peter. And many say that it's, it's Peter's gospel, really, that is Mark's gospel. As Peter, as Mark would sit there listening to Peter sharing, he would be taking notes. And so the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter. So God is able to turn all things together for good as long as we stick with him. Let's work with God, not against God. Don't give up on what you're called to do. 
Be willing to just suck it up. Absorb the pain rather than sulk or lash out or leave. Just suck it up. Just be prepared to look like an idiot for a season. Be prepared to take something that sounds unfair and possibly is for the sake of the bigger picture, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the church, for the sake of ultimately Jesus' name because his name is blasphemed because of our nonsense. That's the bottom line. And remain open to the possibility of changing others. I think this is such a key. Who in your world might need to be given another chance right now? Husbands, wives, children, friends, leaders. Have we written someone off? Have we just, nah, they're getting no more of me. I'm not going to give them another chance. If Paul had done that, he would have robbed himself ultimately of the partnership that Mark brought into his life. And so we need to be open to and praying for transformation. We sang about a God this morning who breaks every chain. And the reality is when we do dumb stuff, it's kind of like there's chains in our lives. It might be chains of addiction. It might be chains of stupidity or chains of rejection or insecurity. And all these things cause us to do dumb stuff that impact negatively on other people. But as God is working into our lives, chains get broken and people change. And that's the glory of the gospel. That's the glory of this whole ministry that we're involved in, this whole God that we serve. Just in finishing, anyone can get hurt. Anyone can hold a grudge. Anyone can just live in an ever-shrinking world, really. But that's not how God ever intended us to live. He's calling us to move beyond our failings. He's calling us to be willing to grow and to help others grow. He's calling us to be trustworthy and to trust others. He's calling us to communicate openly and honestly and to receive open and honest communication in the spirit with which it's intended. You know, the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. And sometimes it doesn't matter how you package some stuff that needs to be said, it stings when you hear it. But if we know that and realize they could have been quiet, they didn't have to tell me, but they, they love me enough to say something. You know, the Bible talks about that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. We don't want to be surrounded by a whole bunch of people who are silently watching us be idiots and, letting everyone, and just letting us carry on our merry way. We want people who are going to say, hey man, if you keep doing that, your marriage is history. If you keep doing that, your kids are going to hate your guts by the time they're 15, etc., etc. You know, those sort of things that we don't like to hear, but we need to hear. May we be strengthened, and may we be strong, and may we be trustworthy, and may we be open, and may we be honest, and may we do all of those things so that the one we represent can become famous around about us, that his name wouldn't be defamed but that people would revere God, that people would love God because of what they see going on in our worlds. Can I pray for you? And then we'll move into a time of communion. Father, I thank you so much that there's just so much truth packed away in this book called the Bible. And I thank you, Lord, that you just teach us how to live this life well, that you're not after religious performances, but you're after reality and that your word has so much to help us live this life well and and to be real with one another. And I pray that where there's trust issues here today, 
that we'd revisit those things and be able to set a course forward to break free of those trust issues. Lord, so that you can get the most out of us, that we'd be living as whole, healed people, helpful people, that we wouldn't be robbing ourselves of the blessing that is locked away in others because we don't trust them, we're not willing to give them a shot and we've got issues and all that sort of stuff. So my God, would you help us, I pray. Would you help us? Would you help us to understand when people talk to us about why they can't trust us or how we've hurt them or disappointed them or let them down? May you help us to be mature enough and strong enough to take it on the chin and to make the adjustments, Lord. Lord, we've tried to gloss over stuff and keep a stiff upper lip and just suck it up and, and pretend that we're not hurting when we are. Lord, even now, I just pray you'd make known now. Because sometimes there's stuff between us that we've forgotten what it is, but it's just there. And I pray that there'd be healing and restoration in this congregation and beyond as a result of these words this morning. Help us to become more like you, Jesus. Help us not to get into reaction with people, but to love people passionately and consistently. So much that we'll do whatever it takes to help them grow and not to hold them back. And God, help us all to grow and not to be held back. Have your way in all of our lives, I pray. Lord, for those that don't even know you, and I thank you, what I've shared this morning, it applies to all, Lord. But I trust that as things are put into practice, that they will see your ways do work and that you are good and that you do want the best and you're not out to ruin our fun and rain on our parade as you've been so often portrayed as doing. So God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.